Hello and welcome. My name is Robert. And I'm Foster. And this is the first bonus episode of the Also See podcast. We're here to have a bit of a chat about the show The Curse. It stars Emma Stone, Nathan Fielder, and Benny Safdie. And we think it qualifies uh, as an Also See because, for one, uh, not many people watched it. And for two, many of the people who did, uh, because of Emma Stone to begin with, it seems like they gave up uh, in the early episodes because this is a tough nut to crack if you're not if you don't go in knowing what to expect um, and demonstrating by the 41% audience score in Rotten Tomatoes, I don't think a lot of normies enjoyed it. So yeah, I think we're just going to have a spoiler-filled conversation right from the jump about the 10-episode season of The Curse. Let's get into it. Um, Foster, I've been dying to know what you think of this because you and I saw the premiere uh, at New York Film Festival, the first three episodes, and then you didn't watch until after the show ended after that right as yeah, i watched I, week to week yeah so we we saw the first three episodes and then i kind of put it on hold until uh like just this past week i i caught back up and then zipped through the, the i rewatched the first three and then watched mm-hmm. the rest of it over the past couple of days and i finished last night so fresh on the brain so what what do you think what was what, what was your reaction <laughs> because you I, said I, I i told you ahead of time not to look yes. at spoilers for the finale. And you said someone else told you the same thing. Uh-huh. I really, really liked it. And I thought the ending was pretty wild. And I can tell you that I had a million possibilities going through my head after you told me not to see any spoilers and to block everything. Never could have guessed this in a million yeah. years. It is. Um, I'm very glad I didn't see anything. I had none of it spoiled for me, by the way. So that was good to know. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I found it very interesting. I've been reading up on it and watching interviews and stuff like that all day today because it's just like <laughs> it was kind of like a fever dream because I watched it so late last night and then mm. had to go to bed. I I could only sit with my thoughts for like half an hour, an hour or so. So it just feels like a dream. I can't even believe it's <laughs> I can't even believe that's how they end it. But yeah, what did you what did you think of it? Uh, I was, I watched it. A week and a half ago now, because I watched it the day that it, the, the finale premiered, and I'm still kind of processing it. Um, but I also think I really liked it. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if I really loved it, but uh, yeah. I definitely appreciate the swing, um, which is you know the most basic thing you could say about something like this. But like, I'm glad that they stuck to what they wanted to do. Um, I I watched the um, Q and A after the finale that Benny did Benny Safdie did um yeah with the at Lincoln Center and he said this was their plan from the beginning they always knew it was going to end like that um so I'm glad they thought of it and they stuck with it and they were patient with it they did they didn't let anything slip um like in the show itself not like in interviews or anything they didn't let anything slip they didn't tip their hand it hits you as much as it hits Asher and Whitney and then Dougie um so on that level i know we're starting off with the finale but like on that level it worked almost perfectly on an emotional level uh i was panicking as much as they were i said it uh that i don't often like feel my heart rate actually raise too much watching movies or tv but there were a couple episodes of this show where that happened uh none more so than this one especially at the very end as the firefighters walking up with the chainsaw like you just know it's gonna happen <laughs> yeah. and yeah it, it worked it worked and my wife watched the whole thing with me all 10 episodes and the night that we watched the finale we were planning to you know watch a couple shows or watch this and then a movie afterwards but we both just sat there <laughs> kind of talking about it and we didn't turn anything on the rest of the night because it kind of messed with our heads that much that's how that's how great I think it works just on that, you know, human raw emotional level. So there's my little spiel about how much it hit me there at least. And then we can dive deeper if you want. Sure. I'm, I'm wondering, maybe we should talk about like episodes one through nine a little bit, like what we mm-hmm. thought of everything leading up. And then we can talk like just about the finale and how it maybe recontextualizes things after that. I don't know For how sure. that sounds to you. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Uh, I just wanted to okay. get both of our reads on the, <laughs> on the finale to, off the jump. <laughs> Sure. Um, I really liked it for the first nine episodes. My only criticism, and I've heard other people say this, it's pretty slow. Um, and I do feel like it could have been a little bit shorter. Um, 
like both the episode length and just like maybe could have had one or two fewer episodes, I think might have made it um, a little bit punchier for me. Um, Mm. But I think um, I think Emma Stone is so good. She's like the main thing I come away from this. This is like maybe my favorite Emma Stone performance. I this is blasphemous. I don't care. I, I like her better than in this than even in poor things. I, I like she's incredible in this, I think. Um I've already said it. I reviewed for Sif Pop both Poor Things and The Curse, and I said Poor Things is a great performance, but she's doing better work on the curse. And then when the curse ended, I said the curse is better than poor things. It's my favorite performance of hers. Go ahead. It's she's so <laughs> I I might say best, I can't say favorite, because easy A heart. Sure. Um yeah. uh, but um I think Nathan Fielder's really good too. I don't know where I heard this. Um, uh, you maybe you also heard the same thing as me. Someone in some interview at some point in time said something about Nathan Fielder on the rehearsal that it was only a matter of time before he got into like actual acting. Um, <laughs> Foster, do you know where you I heard think that? It was, I think it was at the uh, the festival, right? Rowan told us that our friend Rowan, Rowan told us this. Yeah, because he worked with someone who worked with Nathan on. Oh. Nathan for you and he told us that on the subway <laughs> so I try to block out things that anything that man, he says yeah that man yeah. says to us I find him just uh an upsetting figure he's a he's sure. he's ghoulish and so mm. I just don't ugh, you know I don't want to you know I get um it. yeah but I mean I think he's fantastic in this I mean it's it kind of it wouldn't really work with anybody other than him because he's kind of leaning into his whole you know weird sense of humor but like, especially in like the end of episode three, when they do the thing with the sweater or at the end of episode nine, when he has his like crazy, like impassioned speech to Emma Stone, like when he walks mm. back in the door, he is nuts in this. I thought he was great. And then I also think Benny Safdie is really good, too. Those are like our main trio. Did you have any thoughts on the performances? Yeah, well, if you watch Jimmy Kimmel, he's Fielder's always been doing a performance. So like mm-hmm. he's normally a laid back guy. So that's how you know his performance in the curse is really good because he's not, you know, at arm's length. He's not awkward. It's supposed to be like that. It's a character. Um yeah, so it's really <laughs> it's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also impressed with him. Uh, I don't know if you want to get into this, and I don't know how much Fielder and Safdie are kind of trying to invite this or not. But it's kind of it's just in the text of it that everything that Nathan Fielder has done has been in some way reality TV, like directly reality TV or reality TV adjacent. So you're right. I think he's definitely playing on his own persona, uh, which on top of just being awkward and, you know, weird and uh, yeah, just awkward and weird uh, behind that. There's something to be said about the way like in Nathan for you that the businesses he's always quote unquote helping, but actually not helping. They're very often uh, minority people uh, or people from minority groups. And I think there's a, there's a very easy reading of the curse to say that um, he's just playing a heightened evil version of the Nathan for you character. Uh, And I think that's really interesting if you want to look at it that way. And I kind of do, I don't know like in interviews, on a serious note, he does seem just like more of a laid back guy. But from his output, you know, the rehearsal Nathan Fuhr and the Curse, it really does seem like he struggles um, with what the content of Nathan for you was. Uh, I might just be talking in circles now, but did you have any thoughts on that idea at all? Just how he takes advantage of people in the curse and that's kind of the text of it. Yeah, and I think um, so. I love Nathan for you and the rehearsal, and I everything Nathan Fielder does is just yeah. perfect for me. Um, yeah. It's just like ex- my exact sense of humor and everything too. But I, I think like what's cool in Nathan for you is you see like as the show goes on, it's he can't just stick to doing the same formula over and over again. He has to like bring it deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what the words they're saying to each other. It might just be "I love you," but there's this episode of Nathan for you where he has like this girl sitting across from him and they're just like talking to each other and they're just like saying the words over and over again and then like through the words comes this like weird emotion do you know the scene I'm talking about oh yeah it 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 is I love you uh she said she's saying I love you he's trying to get her to role play that line and he keeps going again and then she like you know like Fincher gets deeper to the reality of, (laughs) of the line yeah I 
so uh, there, there's a video, you know, nerd writer, the YouTuber who makes like mm -hmm. video essays. He yeah. made a video about Nathan Fielder and I, and he showed that scene. And I think that was the first thing I had ever seen from Nathan Fielder. And that video is what sold me on watching Nathan for you. And then I watched all of Nathan for you. Um, and then a couple years later, rehearsal came out. So that's how I like discovered him. But I just find that very interesting. And Nathan for you has moments that are surprisingly really emotional, especially the final episode, the finding Francis episode. Yeah. Um, like, there are moments in Nathan for you that made me my eyes water, you know, just from mm -hmm. like the weird, you know, complex emotions. And then also I think rehearsal then plays into the like what's real, what's um, what's pretend, you know, with reality TV quite a bit. I'm curious. I want you to talk more about it because I think you're better at this than I am. Can you explain from your perspective, what do you think the bridge is between uh, of of rehearsal between Nathan for you and the curse, like how does that kind of fit into the arc of what you're describing here? See, that's where I don't know if it's like uh, an explicit arc, but they're like I said, they're all cut from a similar cloth about reality TV um, because obviously Nathan for you was satirizing it. It, was, it aired on Comedy Central, uh, and then the rehearsal definitely gets into the way that people play up themselves for television. Um, specifically, I've admittedly, I've seen a lot of the rehearsal episodes, you know, going on five, six, seven times now. For some reason, I just can't stop watching that show. Um, the Fielder Method episode in particular, when he keeps just doing the same thing over and over, like having actors portray the same events so he can go back and study them. Um, do, you, do you remember the one I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So in that episode, when he's in the shoes of his mark or his primary, I think is how they call it. Um, he is in that guy's mind, or, you know, simulating what he thinks that guy's mindset is. And he's uncomfortable with the show, but he says something like, there are cameras here, HBO cameras. There, you know, this has to be something real so that's kind of the the key for me just because going again going back to nathan for you he gets a lot of people in compromising situations you know not like legally compromising or anything but they're just awkward weird i i wouldn't necessarily want that stuff going out i don't know if i'd sign a waiver but at the same time it's a comedy central show uh maybe that influences them like some of these business owners so it's that idea of the way that people act differently and try to portray a certain image of themselves um, when the cameras are rolling, either subconsciously or consciously, right? Because in the or in the curse, it's very much consciously, especially from Whitney's point of view, where everything is a performance for her, um, except for a couple very rare mask off moments. She's always performing in some way because she's trying to keep up this image of herself um, to make it seem like she's a good person for the cameras. Uh, so that's kind of, kind of what I'm seeing as the through line, even though it's not necessarily a clear arc from Nathan Few to the rehearsal to the curse. Uh, I just more see that like, I know we're talking about episodes one through nine, but in the final one, they go to Abshir's house and uh, Asher is going to give the house to Whitney to him as a gift to Whitney. Um, and he doesn't think of the way that that's going to affect someone like Abshir who now has to deal with property taxes and, and everything that comes along with holding or owning a home. It's just kind of the, uh, the vacuousness of, of someone who is just going in and, and taking advantage of people for the sake of their own show and, and to make themselves look better. Yeah. Like the, is that what you're wondering and trying to get at? I'm not really trying to get at anything. I'm just sure. trying to like throw things out there. But yeah, like all of Asher's actions in the curse are self-serving. Like mm -hmm. you're saying, like like um, like when he when he does uh offer the house to Abshir, he's recording the whole thing secretly, and <laughs> that too. Yeah. He, he he also tells Whitney like my gift to you is the reactions that will mm -hmm. happen when we tell other people about. Like all he cares is he he doesn't actually care about giving that. He doesn't care about abshir at all he just wants like the positive praise and reactions to come in um and other to a certain extent for the curse to be lifted and like and that's a whole other part uh -huh. of it too. sure um can you remind me going back to the rehearsal so i've only watched nathan for you and the rehearsal once um some nathan for you episodes i've seen a couple times but 
Um, I'm, I'm not a huge TV show rewatcher just because they're so long. But mm-hmm. what remind me the big moment at the end of the rehearsal, there's this kind of like, um, did did Nathan Fielder actually get lost in the character sort of moment at the end of the final episode with when he's talking to the kid? And I'm blanking on the specifics of it, but I remember being kind of impacted by it when I saw it. Yeah, I also went back and rewatched that episode to see if there were any hints uh, to the meaning and, and ambition behind the curse. So, yeah, he t- has his kid, Remy, who's supposed to be playing Adam, who's the kid that he and Angela are rehearse raising. Um, and then the kid, Remy, thinks that he's Adam and thinks that Nathan's his dad. And it just gets all messy. And then he ends up rehearsing with another kid playing Remy playing Adam. Yeah, it's a big, you know, head spinning thing. But and and Nathan is playing Remy's mom in that situation. And that the this other kid calls Nathan or no, he calls himself dad to the kid and, and then the kid is like, wait, aren't you supposed to be mom? And he's like, no, I'm dad. And then he like has this really weird face that you never see anything like that from him until the curse. Um, and then he like doubles down on it and says, I'm, I'm dad. And then they hug and get up and you see his butt crack. <laughs> what do you, what do you make, what do you make of that, of that moment? To me, that's just, it throws everything out the window for me. Like, I don't even know how I'm supposed to interpret any of it. Um, He's just, to me, it almost feels like he's toying with the viewer. Uh, and that's kind of what I get from the curse, too. Uh, where he's not going to give you any clear answers when you want this climax, this moment of pathos at the end of this very moving and intense thing that you've never experienced in the rehearsal. He just kind of gives you that and then shows you his ass. And he's like, yeah, try to figure this out. I dare you. That's kind of what I take from it. Yeah, he's so he's so interesting because like for me the and for probably everybody like the huge tension of the rehearsal is it's like hard to figure out which parts are like real Nathan Fielder peeking through or if he's like really just like a character within a character within a character the whole time. Yeah. Everything is playing you, which I don't know. He he and, and there's a lot of that in Nathan for you as well. Um and what's interesting is when I was watching The Curse um, when you told me not to look up any spoilers, my mind was like spinning with different possibilities. And one of the possibilities that kept crossing my mind was, I wonder if there are some elements of the curse, and maybe there are, I don't know, that are like real people and not actors. Like, I wondered if like that was part of the trick that they were pulling on us this whole time. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are like little elements of that in the show too, because again like everything plays with like what's real and what's not and and the curse is so good like everybody they cast is, is it Kara or Kara the the um art uh lady? I think it's Kara yeah Kara she is so good at doing that like awkward like doesn't she's feel like amazing. she's acting yeah. yeah she she is like like what happened is like throughout the whole show, I was like, hmm, I wonder if this person could be like a real person and not an actor who doesn't know they're being filmed. Like I almost wondered when Benny Safdie was like doing the breathalyzer when he's on his date in the car. I was like, can you imagine yeah. if this was real? Like, it, like there's something about it that was like so cringe inducing that like it didn't feel like anyone was acting. And I was like kind of uncomfortable. But then you would then later see someone in the show doing something that it's like, oh, no, they're obviously an actor because you couldn't get like a real person to do that. But like, like, like then when Nathan Fielder goes into the casino and he drops, the, what does he drop? What does he spill on the guys? Like a the Gatorade. Slurge, the Gatorade. Yeah. 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 Like, it's, it's, it's like they, it, they do such a good job of like replicating the cringe comedy of Nathan for you, but in a scripted TV show mm-hmm. that it's like almost hard for me to believe that it's scripted because it feels so real. And then even jumping to the finale, like when it gets more supernatural, they do such a good job of convincing you that what's happening is real. Just the technical side of things too. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Just on that level alone, I think it is is pretty impressive. Well, that's a good segue to the next thing I wanted to bring up, which is the Benny Safty part of it, um, which I haven't seen 
Some, he has a the Safety Brothers have another feature film, Heaven Something. I haven't seen it, but I've seen Good Time and Uncut Gems. Um, and part of what they do is take real people and put them like playing characters similar to themselves. Before I saw the curse was a thing, I never pegged Nathan uh, Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie to be like a, a pairing to look out for. But as soon as it was announced that they like had created a show together, I said, oh, I'm very intrigued. This is an interesting pairing. I want to see where it goes because they have two very distinct sensibilities. Um, like you were saying, the Nathan Fielder cringe discomfort part of it and then just the Murphy's Law, everything that can go wrong will go wrong of a Safdie Brothers movie that feels extra real and extra chaotic. And those those two things are married together in The Curse. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about. I think that's just what Safdie brings to it. That's the, uh, the filmmaking sensibility that he has always had. And then combining that, instead of using it to make like an anxiety movie like Good Time or uncut gems and instead of being just like a cringe comedy like nathan fury rehearsal it's almost like a horror sometimes right because they're that because of where the camera's placed it kind of sets it up for you to be able to theorize exactly what you're theorizing that oh maybe this is a reality show about them making a reality show the whole time or uh the way that the camera's always behind something there's always something in the foreground um as if the camera is hiding somewhere like benny talked about in that lincoln center q a that i just that i mentioned a minute ago that they would just bring around a window like if they had a setup that didn't have anything in 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 the front of the frame they would just put a window in front of the <laughs> the camera and he said he's just a naturally greasy greasy person that he would take like grease from his face and rub it on the window to to muck it up and just make it look extra dirty and make it look like it was being voyeuristic so i think that is just a really interesting angle to look at everything from um and just like who are people for real we're used to seeing this um presentation this this sort of shaky cam at a distance stuff you know on reality shows where people have mic packs on and but they're having semi uh, uh private conversations they know that there's an audience to what they're talking about i'm thinking of like survivor or something like that but in this that presentation is used for a fictional story and it feels a little bit extra uncomfortable. So like when you're watching the sweater scene in episode two or three um, and Whitney saying, this is so us, this is who we really are. And you know, like, no, it's actually the opposite, right? Uh, who who they really are is the, the people that fight three minutes later. Um, and we, but in, in an actual reality show, we wouldn't get a scene of the fight. And I think that's kind of what, is so interesting about it that we get the the messiness of and really the I don't want to say evil I don't want to put it that bluntly but just like how dirty and and self-centered and and self-serving people can be and to a lesser extent that's all of us too today now that we all have a phone that has a camera on it and we all right. only put like a very selected um right now everyone listening to this all five billion listeners of our podcast uh, are listening. We're to only at four billion right now. Only oh, f- only four bill. Okay, huh? Well, yeah. you know, still time. Um, our everyone listening right now is listening to a version of me that I'm putting on for the podcast. This isn't what I'm like when I turn off the podcast, and I'm sure you're not either. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I like, know you're not like this off the podcast. Yes. <laughs> what I don't know what that's mean? supposed to mean, but um, yeah, it's like or like. Like when I'm at work, I have like a work sort of persona that I put on. When I'm with family, mm-hmm. I have my like family persona. Not that makes me sound like a psychopath, but I mean sure. it like in Everyone shades, little degrees. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so it is interesting. Yeah. Like you're saying to see the kind of walls being torn down a little bit to see like what they're really like behind closed doors, I suppose. Um, I don't know. Did you have anything else to add with that? Well, just it literalizes that in that sweater scene when she's like, let's do it again for Instagram. And, mm-hmm. you know, she wants to put on a, a, a version of herself immediately instead of, you know, waiting for her, her flip philanthropy cameras to start rolling. She so my favorite moments of the show are every time when she's like 
she just flips in like a half second to the like her camera mode her tv personality mode like there's there's one episode when they're bringing in a fake couple to buy their house <laughs> their passive home which reflects the community of espanola um they bring it and, and the guy just starts singing stand by me and it's so uncomfortable it's just like it feels like it goes on for an hour and then she's just standing there watching and then all of a sudden flips back anyways and then she, she just like continues her normal she's so good she she is like my favorite thing maybe I, we'll see how i feel about the finale like weeks and months from now but as of right now she's my favorite thing i think about this whole show um Kind of crazy that she's in this. Why is she in this? <laughs> From what it sounds like, it didn't take too much. Like they texted her and she was like, yes, I want to do it. She just wanted to work with them. And I respect Emma Stone a whole lot these days. Like she won her Oscar. She's done all her rom-coms. So now she's off doing the favorite and poor things and the curse and whatever else she wants. Like, and she's great in all of them because I, I do want to stay on that for a minute the layers and the levels to what she does with her performance are just amazing. I, I, I tend to, in my mind, kind of take actors not as seriously as they take themselves. Uh, and I'll admit fully that's because I don't have experience acting and that's just never been my forte. So that's on me. But when I see her play all these degrees of, like you were saying, she changes so quickly but also, I, I don't know how to put it. Just that I know people <laughs> like like her who kind of insert themselves into things where they're not wanted. Um, I, that sounds why, are you me like, why are you looking at me like that, Robert, as you say I'm that? I'm talking about Rowan, to be honest. Um, okay, okay, fair. <laughs> but I've never seen that that demeanor that she carries so often, like so accurately put to screen the way that she does it um it's just i don't know it 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 speaks to the combination of that safety and fielder sensibility and that she's so game to do it and that she's able to do it all at the same time um yeah i i, I don't really really have anything else just i love that performance more than anything anything i've seen from her yeah. Are there any other scenes from the first nine episodes that you want to talk about? Just like funny moments or scenes that stand out to you before we go on to the like second half of the finale? Two things real quick. Yes. One. What do you think of Dougie as a character? Because he was super intriguing to me to start. And then especially that episode where he like hides the keys and then he has to, then he knows that like drunk him, drunk him was being ironic about under the big tree and it was actually under the small tree uh that was really funny um that was all interesting but then it feels like he's kind of sidelined for four or five episodes before he comes back and breaks down in the finale yeah the so of the like three um they're they're the main trio Mm -hmm. their payoffs in like the last 10 minutes of the finale his is the one that hit for me the least just because i felt like i didn't have quite as strong a handle on him as I did Asher and Whitney. Um, but I still think his performance is really good. And I think um, like, I get what they're going for too, with the finale and it makes sense with the character. And I think he's probably a necessary part of the show, but yeah, I do think, I think they could have maybe developed him a little bit more perhaps. Yeah. Um, you hinted at it at the beginning that the show does feel a little slow at times. Um, I've seen or heard from Fielder and Safty in interviews, not personally, that uh, <laughs> they, thanks. thanks, good clarification. <laughs> I just needed you to know. Uh, uh, I've heard other things from them personally, including um, thanks because <laughs> 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 we met them after the premiere. Uh, and anyway, uh, this was the show was 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 initially pitched as like a 30 minute comedy and then in the edit i guess it was stretched into this hour-long dramedy and i feel like the dougie character only really had enough for the 30 minute comedy while there was enough for the other two for the hour long yeah that makes sense um a couple other random ones i want to talk about asher going to joke school <laughs> and when they go around notes. and they do their their like noise or whatever and he I don't even know how to describe what he does. It's so good. It's so. Can you please? Can you try it? 
I'm going to not actually, because I can't have that be out there in public. <laughs> <laughs> you, you already have enough blackmail audio, which sometimes you send me snippets of. <laughs> I did that um, once. No, just in case my self-esteem is too high. No, to be honest, <laughs> I listen to those and I'm like, I make myself laugh. <laughs> good, good. Um, uh, let's see. He has the, he has the notes on the, on oh like how gosh. to be funny. And one of them is just something yes. like be like James Corden, which is just be, amazing. Be self-deprecating, e.g. Yeah. James Corden. <laughs> <laughs> that was obviously intentional, right? Because everyone knows, like... Everyone hates James Corden. Like, I think everyone in, hates James Corden. In yeah, Hollywood, I, even I, people don't I even like so. him. So that's kind of where that, like, yeah. an extra layer to that joke. Yeah. That you could easily miss if you're not scouring his phone on the quick insert shot. One other scene that I wanted to mention was when uh, Kara is in the fast food restaurant and then Emma Stone's like, oh, I'll come. I'm two blocks away. And then she comes in and she's with her Native American friend who like tries to put on the like funny <laughs> show because he's like this like white idiot is going to like buy whatever nonsense I feed her. I thought that was really funny, too. And then and she and does. Then, I know, it, and her like, mm, that was beautiful, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and but then at that party later on when he, like, does some, another, like, little yes. show for her. <laughs> and he, I don't remember what he says, but he's like, you may leave now. And then she does, and then he just cracks yeah. up as he's walking away. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, sm- the smirk is, as, as he tries not to, like, s- smile in front of her. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, just le- sort of leading into the finale then, the last 20 minutes of episode nine kicks this into high gear for me when they finally show the first episode of green queen. Mm. Um, uh, because first of all, it's like a really good imitation of like house flipping shows and stuff. And they have like the graphics and stuff, like as the house yeah. like builds itself. I was like, Oh my gosh, they kind of like went out, went all out with this. Um, and it's really cool to see and scary too, like how well they mask uh, Whitney's, you know, like insanity like like you watch just the green queen episode at the end of episode nine and you're like that's a reasonable enough i mean obviously nathan fielder's like awkward with his like permanently fixed smile that he has every time he's just standing next to her but like i could buy her totally as like a a reality show host um and then and even more so if we didn't have like the rest of the show knowing what she's actually like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I, that's what I mean. Like, if yeah, you just yeah. show this to someone who doesn't know who Emma Stone is, but knows right. reality shows, they'd be like, "Yeah, this is a house flipping show." Um, then when she says uh, to Dougie, "Show him the the pottery section," and then it like gets real. That whole like ten minutes was so tense because you can like feel like something's about to blow up right now. And then when Nathan Fielder walks out the door and then comes back in. That whole that whole speech she gives at the end is like insane. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I thought that was like crazy, compelling, and I re- I really like his performance in this. I think it's yeah, like I like I said at the beginning, I can't picture anyone else doing it like he does because the whole character kind of relies on you being a little bit familiar with the whole Nathan Fielder persona too. It's just right. like it's so perfect. Um, yeah, doesn't he say "good girl" at one point in the speech? <laughs> I think he does. Yes, it's so weird. <laughs> how many times he goes baby 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 when she's like (laughs) upset (laughs) i lost it every time um that was my the last thing i wanted wanted to hit on too the idea of performing a good person instead of like actually being a good person is super intriguing to me and we've hit on this from different angles uh throughout the episode but Mm -hmm, because you can relate right is what you're saying a hundred percent yeah (laughs) Yes. Um, I don't know. I This is the cheesiest callback, but like Batman Begins is not what I do underneath, but what I do that defines me. Like You got to do the voice. Come on. It's not who I am underneath, but what I do <laughs> that defines me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I've always liked that idea uh, that like what you do is kind of, you know, that what you do defines you. But in this it feels the exact opposite, right? Because that, that platitude from Batman, it's a little bit too simple. Like a lot of platitudes are in the, in, you tell them Robert. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to get too personal, but like, I was also thinking like my Christian background, uh, 
that I kind of still stick to at time. I don't stick to the Christian part of it, but I'm definitely fully influenced by the uh, by a lot of the teachings uh, influence how I act and how I think. Um, and a lot of like, I don't remember what verse it was, but one thing that I would always tell myself back then was like, faith without works doesn't mean anything. So like, just like telling yourself you're good on the inside without being good on the outside doesn't mean anything. Um, but I think both of those, both the Bible and Batman, uh, they kind of, they kind of assume a a more clean, a more pure interior life than what Whitney portrays. And I think she has a much more rotten internal person. Uh, and that rottenness wants to be seen as good. Um, and it manifests itself in some like very odd ways. And that's kind of why she feels so off kilter. And so just like a few degrees, you know, a couple, whatever, short of whatever, whatever the saying is, she, there's something off about her. And that's because she's not, she never actually cares about doing good for the sake of doing good, but because of how it's going to make her seem um, and how that's going to portray her on her show. And I think that's just fascinating to think about. Would you say because you're saying it with respect to Whitney, would you say that the same exact thing holds true for Asher, or would you say it's differs between them like to different degrees? I don't think Asher cares nearly as much about coming across as so pure and so great uh, as as Whitney does because her parents are the slumlords and she's and she's trying to escape that reputation. I think Asher's just an opportunist in two ways, one that he found a hot wife who would marry him and two that like she has all this money and can can help him financially i think asher's less complicated in that sense that makes sense do you think i'm not i'm not trying to get anywhere specific with this i'm genuinely asking do you think Mm -hmm. there's any part of whitney that is genuine in her in her quest to like help other people like um like, I, like I, I'm, I'm asking almost, do you think she, like, believes her own nonsense, in a sense? Like, when she says, like, mm, that was beautiful to the guy who's, like, putting on a performative, you know, um, faux Native American sort of show for her. Yeah. Um, do you think she, like, has convinced herself that she genuinely cares or, like, how she cares about the pottery? Because um, to me, there's, like, an element of her character that is genuinely trying Um obviously she's like incredibly manipulative and wears a mask, you know, like all the time and and is a very strange person. I think I can fairly say, but um, (laughs) there was a, there's a little bit more to her for me compared with Asher where I feel like, especially knowing her uh, relationship with her parents, maybe I wonder if she's trying, like she's trying to distance herself from them. You know what I mean? I don't know. What do you make of that? (laughs) She isn't, she isn't, because she's still taking the money, like the $20,000 that she gives Kara is her parents' money. I think there was part of her at some point that wanted to, like, this is outside the show, so this is just me reading into the character. But there was a part of her at some point that wanted to actually do better, and then she probably realized how difficult it is to do that. She she says something at one point when when, when she's talking to her parents at their, like, second home in the apartment that they own in like their uh, uh, property that this is what happens when you don't raise your daughter to believe in anything or something along those Mm -hmm. lines. Yes. So like she's kind of floating in a nebulous place of not knowing who she is or why she is the way she is. So she's trying to latch on to something, but at the same time, it's very obvious that, you know, the poison drips through from her parents that she knows how to manipulate and get her way. Uh, She's just putting on, like you said, this mask that they never quite seemed interested in putting on. Do you want to attack the finale now? Yeah, I think I'm ready. I I don't I don't have anything else. Um, All right. The finale, Uh, it opens with the Rachel Ray scene, which I thought was great. Um, And that was another one where I was like, oh, my gosh, is this real? Like, is there any way that they could? But I think what they did is they just filmed it in front of her studio audience, probably. And yeah, yeah, like I thought that was great, especially like them just smiling on the screen. is So like dystopian and creepy and weird and funny and cringy. And while she's like ignoring them for a portion of it, too. I know. Yeah. In the background. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you could just like feel like Asher and Whitney sort of seething behind because they're like wanting to extend themselves and speak in, but they have to like sit and wait. So they just smile. It's like, it's so sinister. <laughs> yeah. That's an exact word that I wrote down that if everything feels sinister from the beginning. Did you see the Parks and Rec clip? Uh, remind me. What's did you ever on? watch Parks and Rec? I did watch Parks and Rec, but I can't remember. So th- real quick, the thing in Parks and Rec is that they're on native land. Uh, Pawnee is, is a Native American okay. land. And so there's a Native American character who comes in and out. He's a recurring character on the show. At one point, he threatens a curse on them for doing this or that at one of the parks. And then it cuts to a talking head of him. And he said, there's two things that I know about white people. They love Rachel Ray and they're terrified of curses. And it's the weirdest connection that I, you know, you wouldn't expect between the curse and Parks and Rec. But I don't know if it's like a direct reference or it's just happy accident, but I just, it's, there's nothing substantive to really say about it, but I just had to bring it up. I do remember that now that you said that. That's amazing. I want to believe it's intentional. Yeah. What did you make of Asher floating away? <laughs> um, like what, it, what, like what was my reaction to it or what do I think it means? Uh, both. Oh, gosh. Yeah, put it on me first, and then I'm going to sound like an idiot. <laughs> um, I don't know is the honest answer fully. Um, I think, um, like, on one hand, it feels almost like karma, like he's just being, like, exercised or excised or whatever word I'm thinking of from the earth, you know? Mm-hmm. There's also, I, this I'm not, I'm not going to take credit for, I read, but, um, of course, Whitney's giving birth as he's, you know, yeah. floating away from the house. And that's kind of like a birth in itself. Like he is being birthed from the house and then he's on the tree, which is like the umbilical cord. And then they cut the umbilical cord or saw the tree. And then now he's out into the world, you know. Right. As they're um, cutting her stomach, too. Yeah. So there's like a sort of, you know, symmetry there. Um, like a, you can look at it as sort of a reincarnation idea. And there are a lot of spiritual themes in the show, including... I read also like some of the tracks, the songs that they used in this finale, which by the way, the music in the last 10, 15 minutes is amazing. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever music they pulled from was perfect. Um, yeah. I mean, I wonder, I, I also want to ask you what you make of, um, you know, Whitney's reaction as it's happening to, and the baby that sh- she is going to have now. Do you think of it as like a sinister or possibly hopeful restart type of ending with that baby that's gonna gonna come? What did you make of that? Yeah, I think there are a few different ways to look at it. And I don't I can't fully wrap my head around the theory that's been put around or put out there that like Asher is dying in that body and then like literally being reborn in the baby and that like he is always going to be with Whitney. Um, I kind of more latch on to the idea again, this is a, I'll admit, a combination of like the reading that I've done and analyses of it, both on like professional in the trades and just like on Reddit and Twitter and stuff like that. Um, and my own, you know, interpretation of it. But in that speech that you're talking about at the end of episode nine, he says, if you didn't want me here, something along the lines of, if you didn't want me here anymore, I would be gone. I would just disappear. That's kind of how I see it. And I think it, as the idea of the curse kind of, like the curse itself from the very first episode from Nala, you kind of forget about it for the last episode and a half or so. But I think that's the payoff of the curse from all different directions. Dougie says, I curse you to Asher at one point. So I think Dougie being the conniving, again, opportunist, uh, who's there to take advantage and be a reality TV show producer and, and um, manipulate reality. You know, the very first scene is him putting the water and tears in the woman's eyes. So there's that, there's him being ready to just like have the cameras rolling as Asher is holding onto the tree branch. What I'm trying to say is the, the curse is hitting Asher from all sides. That's where it hits him from Dougie, where it hits him from Whitney. She's been wanting him gone the whole time. Um, and I think there's something to be said, uh, of Asher taking advantage of her for her position in life, you know, financially. Um, though I don't know if the show is necessarily saying that Asher deserved this, but it's also that Whitney is kind of a phony who never actually liked Asher in the first place. 
and just wanted like a normal husband who would be great for her philanthropy show. Um, so now, now that she has a kid and that Asher is gone, it's not like it, it theoretically wouldn't hurt the viability of the show of her now titled green queen show, because it's not like they got divorced. Like Dougie was saying, the producers were against, uh, Asher is literally dead. So there's, there's that narrative around it that, uh, it's, it's the green queen and her baby flipping houses, keep, you know, keeping Espanola green, you know? So there's that direction. And then this is kind of where I would say that Asher is getting what he deserves because going all the way back to Nala saying, I curse you at the, towards the beginning of the first episode, like we said, he's just kind of taking advantage of the local community along with Whitney. Sure. But Asher seems to be a bit more sociopathic about it, who does it without a thought of what he's doing, not even feigning the idea that this might be right or wrong, uh, like Whitney does. So the final nail in the coffin is him giving <laughs> Abshir the house and putting the burden of responsibility of everything that comes with owning a house on him. So like I said, the curse is coming from every angle of people that Asher interacts with, the, the local community that he's been parasiting off of, basically. Uh, his wife and his would-be best friend. Also, just to speak to maybe the... That was very good, by the way. Thank you. Applause. Uh, just to it. speak to Dougie, which is the... the. So for me, I understand mostly the Asher and the Dougie side, and the Whitney one is the one that's still a little bit of a mystery to me. So I'll talk about Dougie for a second, then I want to ask you about Whitney. But sure. for Dougie, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm missing anything, but seems just like he in that moment when he like bursts out crying it's just sort of hitting him like the the weight of the guilt that he feels for like all the wrongs he's done in his career pretty much and it's the sort of um like the the straw that breaks the camel's back is what happens to asher when he floats up like a balloon (laughs) (laughs) i love imagining someone listening to this having not watched the show it must be so ridiculous but um can I take that just uh, one step further for you, though? Not yeah. just the wrongs that he's done in his career, but the wrongs that he's done in his relationship with Asher, picking on him that Asher's repressed from when they were in high school together, and mm-hmm. his guilt over, like, he's at fault for killing his wife, and he's never admitted that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's yeah. hitting him, too. Mm-hmm. Um, because he doesn't take Asher's pleas seriously Yeah. in the tree. So Dougie makes sense to me. Asher makes sense to me why I like, you know, metaphorically why this would happen to him. My question then is why does the show let Whitney have this moment of like almost catharsis where she like has this kind of sly sort of smile after she has this, you know, teary, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, like, like, like it's almost like, kind of like a girl boss moment for her <laughs> so, you know like like do you want do you want me to check to see if your husband's here oh sure you know like she doesn't even she's like you know whatever you know like she's moved on right. from from asher at this point already she's got her kid now you know like um i don't know can you talk a little bit more about that because you you've been able to sit with this much longer than i have no i think so it's I expect exactly... this answer to be really good <laughs> i think it's exactly what you're just saying that she and what I was kind of saying that she doesn't need Asher anymore because she's got the the baby to be in the, in the, in place of Asher. Like I said, she's never actually liked Asher. Uh, so to have him gone is probably, I don't know. Calming is probably a good thing for her. She's glad about it. I was trying to think of that myself where it's like, is it letting her off the hook? And I just think the, the show is more interested in giving honest answers about the way that the world is instead of, you know, being a parable of like, this is how you should act. And if you act this way, then X, Y, Z will happen. Because that feels much more in line with what Safdie and Fielder have done in the past. So yeah, that's kind of my take on, is that what you're asking, trying to get at? 
Sure. And I feel like I, I get like from her perspective, I get a bit of how she's feeling. I suppose I'm wondering, like, I know how I'm supposed to be or not supposed to supposed to in quotes. I know how I'm supposed to feel, you know, when I when I see Dougie's reaction. I know I know how I feel, at least when I'm watching Asher float away, like I'm feeling the fear and the overwhelm and the like overwhelming guilt and the like the, the, I, like like I. I, I know what I'm feeling during those moments. I don't yeah. completely know what I'm feeling when I see Whitney having her little smile at the end. You know, I'm thinking Emma Stone's amazing. I'm thinking the scene is very compelling and I'm getting from her perspective. She has this kid now. It's sort of a new start for her free from Asher. But what am I supposed to be feeling about her in that moment? Like, am I supposed to be happy for her or am I supposed to still distrust her? Or I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Not to be like the boss baby meme uh, where I reference everything back to succession, but I think it's kind of like that where you understand why she would be feeling this way, like on a very basic human level where she's just kind of happy to have a kid um, and happy to be out of a relationship she didn't want to be in in the first place. Um, But at the same time, that should be terrifying to you that there's someone with this little empathy who all she wants is just like like her life to be how it would look the best on a TV show. Um, And that's kind of how it comes across to me where I'm kind of terrified of her and terrified of the idea that there are more people like her in our media space, both, you know, traditional media and new media. Are you happy for her at all? No, (laughs) I, I don't think I'm happy for anyone. I'm maybe a little in a, in a, twisted sense a little happy for Dougie that he's able to get that guilt out and like understand that that he's been wrong this whole time Mm -hmm. um because he's lonely as you see from the show like he calls Asher at one point early on and Asher's like no I can't hang out today and then Dougie's just crying alone in his hotel room (laughs) so like I kind of feel like there's a good person in there somewhere lost behind a lot of layers of bad manipulative person uh, mm-hmm. self-centered person and I, I don't like like looking ahead but I wonder if this character will kind of you know take what happened in in this finale and make himself a little bit better though I don't see that happening whatsoever for Whitney okay do you think um, I'm going to bring the succession comparison back around then um, like the magic trick of that show for me is always they're not good people just objectively they all do terrible things but you still care about them and like against all odds you still kind of are rooting for them to succeed in their own goals even though like those goals could potentially have big consequences but you just like you spend so much time with them that you grow attached to them Mm -hmm. um do you feel that at all for Whitney where in that final moment of the finale with her is there any part of you that feels and again I'm not trying to get one way or the other I'm sort of just trying to understand yeah because I still don't know how I feel is there any part of you that is sort of happy and relieved for her that she can now start anew without Asher or just not at all? She's just like evil. Do you know what I mean? I do, I do know what you mean. Um, can you remind me since you've watched it more recently, is the final shot her face or is it like the sky? No, the final shot. Um, or these people is, watching. It's sort of like a tracking shot into their reflective house. And then. It oh, that's out. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the, one of the final shots before it goes back to like the people talking about, you know, oh, I think it's for a reality show, which, which goes back to what we were saying about Nathan Fielder Mm -hmm. and reality shows at the beginning. No, I don't feel bad for Whitney or I don't feel happy for Whitney is what you asked, right? Do I feel happy that Asher's gone? Uh, I don't feel happy for her because, and this might just be a me thing but I have an irrational fear of just like floating like that uh, <laughs> the way Asher does that. I don't have like nightmares, but I have like uncomfortable dreams fairly often where I am just like trying to walk, but I'm floating and can't get back down on the ground. So that was like a very visceral and raw experience for me watching that episode. In fact, I had one of those dreams last night. I was just <laughs> trying to like cross the street and I'm just floating up again, going back to succession. I didn't like Asher at all throughout the entire show. I did start feeling bad for him a little bit um, when Whitney is just like eventually becomes very mean. Like when, when uh, the guy comes in with a gun and threatens them and then Whitney just completely mocks him afterwards. Like she drops the mask and 
like I started feeling bad for Asher for an episode or two. Okay. Yeah. But then I didn't anymore at the end of episode nine when he does the speech. And then of course with the with the Ebshire House thing, I was like, okay, I'm back to screw both of these people. Mm-hmm. But seeing him float away, it was just fundamentally human. Someone is literally clinging for their life, begging yeah. for their life. There's something so primal about that that I couldn't help but, you know, feel for him and feel myself in that situation. Like when they just to humor him, throw the net over him without fastening it to anything. <laughs> that was genuinely upsetting and distressing to me. Yeah. Like I couldn't believe it. Do you think that Asher deserved this more than Whitney did? I don't think so. I don't know if anyone deserved it more than the other. Um, though maybe he did. I don't know. Just because he's doing so with out any pretense of doing the right thing, just only trying to make Whitney happy and just going through, you know, being an opportunist at every chance he can get. So, like I said, I, I struggle with one of anyone deserved this um, because I don't know if anyone deserves something bad happening to them. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at where it's still just like a conundrum in my mind. Uh, and I don't know if like we were saying with the end of the rehearsal, I don't know how much of it, is supposed to be explained how much of it is Benny and Nathan screwing with us or how much of it is like they're trying to say something very specific or what. Yeah. Do you think um, the ending is also Nathan Fielder sort of reckoning? I mean, we talked about this a little bit with Nathan for you, but do you think the ending of the curse is him reckoning potentially with maybe some guilt or ickiness he feels over the reality show stuff that he did in Nathan for you and potentially the rehearsal? Well, yeah, like I, think the rehearsal was him reckoning with Nathan for you. And then it turned into him reckoning with the rehearsal. Um, So I think uh, the curse is him just kind of reckoning with all of it though. He's out there filming season two right now of the rehearsal. So who knows what that's going to be? Like I've, (laughs) I just know that I'm fascinated with anything that he could be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, the the ending is hitting me right now as I'm thinking with the Asher's ending specifically because the, uh, I think reckoning is the perfect word for it because there is the meta aspect of it. Dead reckoning. Reflect dead reckoning, not, not part, part one, one, just dead reckoning. No. Yeah. Nope. No longer rip. Um, <laughs> uh, th- I think um, what makes that scene hit too, aside from just the primal fear of he's floating away really really fast, um, is he is sort of being hit you know in in like the most physical way with all of he's he's experiencing a similar reckoning to what Dougie's experiencing on the ground except Asher's is you know physicalized if that makes sense where he's like experiencing I don't know does that make sense at all what I'm saying he's like physically having to undergo the the result of all of his misdeeds in the way that Dougie is emotionally reckoning with the effects of his misdeeds does that you're saying anyway well are you saying you do think asher kind of deserves it or at least that's what the show is saying this is getting to some something deeper than just the show i guess to 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 like i i think i think most of us have quite a lot to reckon with oh yeah (laughs) just to get to get really deep and so part of what is hitting me right now is i'm thinking like there's a lot of things i don't like about myself um And I'm just thinking if I were forced to like experience the weight of every single little thing I've ever done that I've not been happy with uh, Mm -hmm. about myself or any like wrong that I've caused anyone else, not that that I've like murdered anyone or anything, but still like if if I were to just put all of those at once, it would sort of feel like I'm just being like blown up out of the earth. That's kind of, it's like a perfect like physical representation of that feeling to me that I'm thinking of right now. And so yeah, I, I am thinking like that's like the physical version of what of what Dougie's experiencing emotionally. Do you think that makes sense or am I like making something up? Uh, I think you are making something up, but not in the sense that like it's wrong. I just hadn't thought of it that way. And I do think it's interesting and I like it. Yeah. And then, I mean, this is a good way to maybe kind of close out in a little bit. But like at the beginning yeah. of that, the Benny Safty interview, you were talking about the episode 10 Q&A. Mm-hmm. on youtube uh he talks about um 
it's like a mildly pretentious analogy, but it works with the box that he brings up or the drawer at the beginning. He's like, if you take a handle off the drawer, blah, blah, blah. And he goes into this whole long thing. And the basic idea is he could just give you the answers, but that's no fun because then you'll just right. like have the answers and then they're just sitting there in your pocket. But like um, by presenting the final episode of The Curse in this sort of surrealistic way, um, I mean, this hour long conversation that we've just had right now would not happen if it just played out more straightforwardly and mm-hmm. gave us all of the answers the discovery is the the it's about the journey not the destination you know it's yeah. yeah this is the point the point is to have these conversations and to think through things like this and allow it to kind of seep into your own life and make you reflect on on your own world as well so i don't know pretty interesting good show <laughs> i think that's a great place to stop i don't have anything else to add uh i like that cap on the conversation oh thank um, god i was getting real sick of you yapping yapping your little your little mouth that's what nathan fielder shows do though just to have you think and discuss so i'm glad um so yeah thanks for listening i did have a good time this time you can follow us on letterbox at robert's thoughts and at fosth 101 and if you're enjoying the show let us know uh rate the show on spotify or, or apple podcast share subscribe follow whatever you do for podcasts. Since this is a bonus episode, you'll hear from us on Thursday for our next full episode. Until then, I curse you.